listening to the Astral Hour. I'm your host, Astral Meadow. Join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious. Welcome everyone. Today I'm joined with my beautiful friend, Mary Yule. She is a mother and wife who is passionate about holistic living, conscious parenting, and sovereignty. She is a holistic birthkeeper and doula for home birthing and free birthing families, a yoga teacher, Reiki master, psychic energy healer, oracle reader, and currently learning intuitive herbalism and astrology. She also leads a sacred sovereign women's circle here in Knoxville. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming out. I always I'm excited love, to be here. Yeah, I always love being in your company. So, um, <clears throat> could you share a little bit about yourself and your journey for our listeners? Yeah, so um, I am originally from West Tennessee. I grew up there and moved to East Tennessee about six years ago. Um, I have seven kids. My husband and I have seven kids together, so we're a blended family. Um, three of them have been mine by birth and f- the four older ones from his previous marriage. And um, the youngest is 10 months. And so my 10-year-old was the first birth that I experienced, and that is sort of what kind of led me into all of my ways of doing things now mm-hmm. with birth, yoga, um, spirituality. It really just sparked something in me that completely changed me. Mm-hmm. So um, his pregnancy and birth was very traumatic in a lot of ways, especially the birth, going into the hospital and having all the interventions and um, seeing really what birth inside of the system has turned into. Mm -hmm. And um, I just knew the way all of it unfolded was not how it had to be. And after that, I really started consciously seeking um, awareness and research about all the decisions that I made, Um, especially parenting and um, I knew that any of my future births and pregnancies were going to be different because I didn't want to replay that. Right. And so ultimately that led me into, um, you know, when you start diving into one thing, you kind of spiral into all these other things. And so many of these things are connected. So I got into spirituality and yoga. And um, and so yeah, that led me to where I am now and being a birth keeper and yoga teacher and things like that. So. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. listened to, um, you had a little podcast episode about it, and mm-hmm. it seemed like that first birth really did spiral you into reconsidering yeah. everything. And that, I mean, we don't know until yeah. we experience something, right? you know, and then we're like, well, I didn't really like that, so yeah. I'm going to have to shift a little bit there. I There was so much I didn't know about before I got pregnant with my son. Yeah. And, you know, just... Not just interventions, but things that we just do that we've never even questioned. And, yeah, you know, like (laughs) it just it was it was mind boggling when I started going down some of the rabbit holes. And I'm not even I won't even bring it up because it's such a conflicting Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, topic, some of them. But it's just I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm like, I just feel like we've been lied to. I feel like, you know, that this stuff should be known. And right. yeah, it was definitely life changing for me in so many ways. Like not just becoming a mother, but just like waking up to the realities mm. of our world. And yeah, it's just like toxic on mothers and toxic for children. Yeah, you know. So, <clears throat> how would you define conscious parenting, and what are some things that you've learned on the way? So for me, I believe that conscious parenting, um, in a nutshell, is just treating your children like humans. Right. <laughs> Crazy idea, I know. Right. <laughs> Not for you, but for like, you know, it's I feel like when we when we were younger, there's there's such a a like we see children as like not humans. And they're they're literally just little humans learning how to be human, learning how to do this whole life thing. And really as an you know, I I had a good childhood, but there were obviously still traumas. There were still a lot of things that I'm still having to heal from as an adult. Um, and I knew I didn't want to repeat those things with my kids. So I was like, 
you know, when I got pregnant with my first son, I intuitively, it was like, um, I'm going to treat this human like a human, you know? Um, so I think it's just listening to your kids and treating them with love and respect that you want in return. Mm -hmm. Um, so instead of, um, like a lot of the more mainstream ways of parenting is like, you know, you have this, um, punishment for acting in this way, but sometimes the punishment is actually the thing that we're asking them not to do. Right. You know, and I know it's kind of a hot topic, but for example, like I'm, uh, I don't want you to hit your siblings. I'm going to hit you. So in in their brain, they're they're like, that doesn't make sense. Right. So um, I think conscious parenting is just being consciously aware of all the, all of the decisions that we make and, and each situation that we handle with our kids as it's happening. Right. And that so. they're going through so many of the same things that we are still working through. Exactly. You know, my son plays video games sometimes and sometimes he gets really angry. Mm. And, and we've been trying to to use those as like teachable moments yeah. um, out in the real world. But mm. then there was this, you know, the other day me and Justin had a, a disagreement and there was some anger. And then after, you know we processed it, we went and talked to him and we're like, see, even adults, mm. you know, have the same issue. And it's like, when we work with him, my daughter's a little young to, you know, to be like trying to actually talk to her <laughs> about what's going on. But uh, we use our own examples for him. You know, we mm. don't say, oh, we're better than you. We're above this. We're like humans do these things. Yeah. It's actually a challenge to be you know, this perfect human and none of us are. And, you know, I can't expect you to be some master at emotions when I am not a master. Right. So, you know, I always try to like stay humble and let him, you know, when he sees me in like a vulnerable state or if I'm sad or something, I'm not actually trying to close myself off from that. I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, I was sad about a disagreement with a friend the other day and I was crying. He was just right there, you know, and yeah. I wasn't like in my room hiding. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, sometimes, you know, things happen and it makes me really sad. And yeah. and I don't want to just not cry. You know, crying releases this mm. uh, energy. It helps me process it. Mm. And so he's hopefully feels more comfortable, you know, in the future yeah. if he has to cry about something yeah. or if a friend hurts his feelings, he knows it's okay to express that emotion. Mm-hmm. So, so much about conscious parenting for me is just like, like living it and embodying it yeah. in your own self. And, you know, you're like loving yourself and allowing these emotions and then your children see that. Absolutely. And then you do the same thing for them. You allow them to express, Yeah. you know, you're not jumping right into don't do this, you know, it's, right. Let them, let them calm down. And because we can't process things when we're in the moment of like really upset. So if someone's Mm. hyperventilating and they're crying and they're, you know, in that, in that way, you should be compassionate and, you know, hold them, give them space, Mm. nurture them, you know, and that's what we should do in those moments. And, and not just say, you know, well, you're in trouble, you know, or shut up or whatever, uh, so I think that that was something, I mean, it kind of was just intuitive for me. Yeah. Um, but I was so, like, I had such a terrible childhood with adults. Like adults yeah. were like the worst bullies mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being a kid and thinking, I will never treat my children this way. I would yeah. never treat anyone mm-hmm. this way. And so I think so much about it came from having such a terrible time. Yeah. With adults just immediately just beating me or, you know, go in the corner for two hours, you know, and I'm just like, Mm. I was such a gentle child too. Like, I really would have responded very well to someone sitting down and talking to me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I definitely was like the cycle breaker and there was no way that I was ever going to mess with my child's mental health so not so conscious parenting is not just like don't physically abuse your child right obviously we don't do that (laughs) yeah yeah but it's also being really understanding about their emotional and mental Mm. health I mean it's such a big aspect of it right you know so it's not just like don't let them cry it out it's like you know hold them and Mm. and and be there for them during these moments yeah and I can imagine like my nervous system is still 
like over stimulated i feel like just from when i was a kid as i was developing like people weren't helping me calm down they were like yelling at me making it worse yeah and uh i just i don't know there's definitely a better way you know i'm not saying like don't discipline your kids or let your kids just you know hit hit you (laughs) and you know like break all your stuff you know and i think some people think that you know when you say oh i'm not spanking or whatever that you're just letting your child yeah just do whatever they want at all times yeah like it's like you're still working with them yeah you know my son like if he does you know there are things where I'm like okay if you continue to do this Mm -hmm. and I give him a list of options like you can you know go sit in your room and have some me time or I'm gonna have to take this thing away but he gets to choose which option yeah so in the end not only is he totally responsible for what happens when that occurs Mm he also gets to choose yeah uh the discipline yeah I think people often confuse conscious parenting with lazy parenting exactly and (laughs) And it's not not. it is the exact opposite because those of us who do venture into conscious parenting there's a reason Mm-hmm. We're like, we've done the research or we've experienced the trauma or we've seen the pattern or whatever, because we have two options when we experience trauma is to continue like that pattern or to break it. And right. you broke that. And that's right. beautiful. And I love that. And I love to see that because so often people continue to carry on that, you know, generations and generations of, you know, abuse and things like that. And when you when you can take that and like really see that's just being conscious. You're being conscious of what happens. So you're choosing to be a conscious parent. Right. And I think, you know, I always say the goal is to, to the best of my ability, raise kids who don't feel like they have to recover from their childhood. Exactly. Which is such a huge thing that all, that so many people deal with at different levels, you know? Right. So I feel like, and and it's not always easy. I mean, there are some days where it is so hard and you're like, oh, I just, I wish I would have just done this the easy way, you know, and sometimes it, yeah, of course it feels like it would be much easier to just spank them and go on, you know, Mm -hmm. but we know consciously that that's not, that's not the, the product that we're going for. I know I don't want my kids to do something that I say because they're scared of me. Exactly. I I want them to do the right thing because they have learned why that's the right thing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to teach them you know, what to think. I want to help them learn how to think and, you know, that they have the ability like to do it on their own, you know, and we're here to just guide them through it. We're their guides, you know, Exactly. and I think a big part of conscious parenting is realizing that our kids are not our property. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, they chose us for a reason and they were like, okay, they're the ones we need in this this incarnation to uh, help us progress to the next level, you know. And so when I look at my child like that, it's like, how could I, how could I treat you in this way when you literally chose me to guide you through this incarnation? Like that's. Right. You, you knew I was a safe person. Yes. You yeah. knew I would, you know, support you through this very challenging mm-hmm. time. Yeah. You know, so that you would be on the path that you needed to be on. Right. It's like you had that contract. Yeah. Beforehand. You yeah. Know? And I think about this very often. And I know you know Dolores Cannon's work, mm-hmm. and she has a whole thing, and it's like the three waves of volunteers. Yeah. And it starts with the crystal mm-hmm. children, and they took a lot of abuse because they were kind of like the first Mm. and I think about like my parents generation was more of that um I don't know if they were fully embodying that Mm. but it was like the very first introduction to you know considering people's feelings you know the hippie movement right I think about that was really the 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 crystal yeah and then that generation gives birth to the indigos yeah and I feel like that's like me and you Mm -hmm. and and, you know, we are more aware, like psychically open, you know, we're like tuned into these other people. We're empathic. Yeah. We know what they're feeling. So like when my kid's crying and they're really stressed, like mm. I feel that in my own body. Right. And yeah. I would never be like, well, let's stress them out some more. Right. But if you think about it, you know, the indigos are raising these rainbow children. Yeah. And like they couldn't be... They wouldn't be able to reach their full potential without an imp- an empathetic parent. Exactly. You know, and what what's going to make them change the whole planet? You know, 
what's mm-hmm. going to shift the vibration. It's it's the way that we raise these rainbow children. Exactly. You know, so, and yeah. it really it just comes from the heart space. If you're living from the heart space, mm-hmm. then I feel like it's just going to, to happen intuitively. You don't have to overanalyze conscious parenting. Absolutely. It's just like, take a moment. Yeah. Think about like, how is this, how is my reaction? Am I reacting or am I responding? Exactly. And how is this going to be received? Yeah. You know, if I'm upset and someone's yelling at me, how do I How feel? does it make you feel? Yeah. So yeah. it's, I, you know, you can't just go to work and like hit your friend when they yeah. <laughs> say something. I mean, they might say something totally mean, right? Yeah. But you can't just like smack them on the butt. Exactly. And, and get yeah. away with that. And so I really just like think about it. I'm like, it's inappropriate. Yeah. You know, and so. It's such a bizarre thing to have been normalized. Yes. You know, and, and yeah, and I always go back to like, if I'm, if I'm not going to want my child to hit someone else, right. why, why in the world would I hit them? I know. And sometimes it literally just comes down and, you know, it's okay. I want everybody listening to know, like, it's okay to get overwhelmed. Parenting is hard. Mm-hmm. Parenting can be very stressful. And sometimes you just don't know what to do. And you feel like everything you're trying is not working. Right. I, I feel like um, we need to know that it is okay to let our kids see that when we're having a hard time, that that's also being human, right? Yeah. So, like, they're able to see that. And then whenever we do mess up, because we're going to mess up some days. I know mm-hmm. I do. I come back to them and I'm I get on their level and I'm like I'm sorry yeah I'm sorry for the way that I reacted I didn't allow myself time to think it out Mm -hmm. I reacted too quickly will you please forgive me and then usually from there they're like you know well this hurt my feelings you know and I I hold space while they tell me how I hurt their feelings Mm -hmm. without trying to explain why their feelings shouldn't be hurt right being defensive exactly because that 100% 100% has to do with me, not them. Right. I don't actually feel like my child wants to hurt me. I know my child doesn't want to hurt me. I am being triggered by something in my past. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and listen to why and how I hurt you and let you have the floor on that, you know, right. and not try to be like, well, oh, you shouldn't be hurt because blah, 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 you know, because right. they don't, they don't understand that. They can't comprehend why we feel like they shouldn't be hurt. Like we don't get to choose that. So I try to remind myself when these situations are happening, how would I want for my partner, for my husband to respond to me when I'm hurting? Exactly. When I'm crying, when I'm, you know, whatever's going on, would I want him to totally dismiss me or, you know, yell at me some more or, Mm -hmm. you know, smack me or put me in a room and shut the door? Or would I rather him be present and listen and hold me and rub my back, you know? Exactly. It's very simple when we really think about it, you know? It's, It's sometimes hard to practice, especially... If you were not brought up with that and you're not used to that, it's a learning process, but right. we, we can do it. Right. So, and <clears throat> even just defensiveness alone, like anytime I like talk about my feelings to somebody mm-hmm. and I'm being real vulnerable and they take it so personally that they don't actually hear what I'm saying and they yeah. start, you know, it's like that, defi- it makes me not want to, Yeah. I'm like, well, next time I will go somewhere mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. with this big emotion. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't received right. And so I think about, well, children are are like that too. Like if yeah. you start defending, you know, like, well, that's stupid and you're being immature or something. Yeah. Like when they have a, a big emotion, they're not going to want to come to you with it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I'm like, well. And that leads to a whole plethora of issues in like yes. their teen years and on into adulthood and so many different paths that could go down if you don't feel open to talk to your parents. Well, who are you going right. to talk to? I exactly. Mean, you're going to find some. You're going <clears> to <throat> find somebody else, and that that person might not actually value you the exactly. way your parents do. You know. So I feel like when I was doing EMDR, it gave me even more insight to little things that adults had done that I didn't realize actually changed my personality. Mm, mm-hmm. Of you know, I didn't really talk much. It's not like I was nonverbal, but I actually didn't talk for a long time I would write stuff down mm-hmm. um I didn't sing mm-hmm. uh, I love to sing yeah um, I stopped expressing uh any of my interests and this is just the result of adults saying you know shut up mm. or, Blo- it blocked your throat chakra yeah, or yeah. you're annoying or mm. you know stop singing that stupid song mm. you know and they might have it might be true I might have been annoying right I remember singing this jewel song in the with my headphones on and my granny was like, turn it down. 
you know, just like, shut up. But I was like so into the song, yeah. you know, and uh, I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to sing in the car anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I shouldn't have probably taken it personal, but children are, they're not rationalizing it that way. No. So you have to put yourself into their shoes and exactly. think, you know, I'm going to let my child sing. Yeah. Why? Because I would never want to be the reason that they stopped Exactly. Doing something they love just because they got on my nerves. Right. So when Iris plays the keyboard, I'm like, ah, you know. <laughs> uh, but I might just turn it down a little, but I'm not yeah. going to be like, don't do that. It's annoying yeah. me. Like, I'm really, I'm aware that what I say really mm. matters. Yeah. Um, and that it could come back around. Yeah. Um, full fold when they're like a teenager and they don't want to learn an instrument yeah. or something because I was like, turn that stupid keyboard. It off. just it suppresses their creativity. We don't even realize that's what we're doing. But exactly. Yeah. So yeah, EMDR actually made it even more apparent of how small the statement can be. Oh, yeah. That changed it. So I just stopped being myself. You know, yeah. and I'm just now fully embodying myself you know I had a healer um Shakina she's been on here mm, I love her and after my session she was like you know uh I think you're an extrovert and I was <laughs> like well that's interesting to to think about yeah you know but maybe I was more introverted because I was suffering so much as right. a child that I went into my own my own world right. I would lock myself in my room I'm like no one understands me mm. and then that became a part of my identity mm -hmm. and I was like I can't go out into the world and express myself because no one understands you know you see yeah. how that would play out absolutely and so like when she told me that you know I actually am extroverted you know I I took that as like I have a choice to be more extroverted out in public. Am I still pretty introverted? Yes. I do need time alone mm -hmm. uh, with all those 12th house placements to be in solitude. Yeah. But when I am out and about, I'm a lot more extroverted. People don't even, yeah. they're like, I would never see you as an introvert. Yeah. Right. And that took years of healing for me to finally talk to strangers. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I like say I'm like coming at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> and all this stuff I would never have done. Right. You know, so, yeah, when you were saying like uh, childhood, they don't have to heal from. I mean, I'm just yeah. now at 32, like embodying who I really am, mm -hmm. like my essence, yeah. which is playful, silly. Yeah you know loud sometimes i have a, a aries and mercury or whatever so <laughs> sometimes it's like it comes out as being loud and right. i'm like well sorry i'm just kind of a loud person yeah <laughs> that's not there's nothing wrong with that, no you know? not at all. so it's funny that i'm just now like figuring all of those little things out gosh i think so many of us have have that you know we're like oh well i think we tell ourselves like i'm i'm the kind of person who blank or mm -hmm. I'm I'm a person who blank but it's like are you or is it trauma right. <laughs> can you heal heal from trauma and realize oh actually I'm I'm this like you know mm -hmm. I am outgoing I do like people you know right. I spent years when I was in um, a, a very not good marriage and an abusive in different ways um, relationship and I had you know shut off so much that I went multiple years without ever crying so like I mm. couldn't cry and mm -hmm. I I had really sad situations happen where I was like I can't cry there's something wrong with me you know and I, what I realized was is that I spent a lot of time anytime that I would cry I was told to shut up it was uh -huh. you know um experience anger towards me because you know whatever reason so I finally was like okay I, I'm not safe to cry exactly so after that relationship ended I was like learning how to cry again or mm -hmm. learning how to um, go out in public and not experience extreme anxiety just going to the store, right. you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, I, I do like people like I, I like, you know, I'm still an Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius. So like I have, you know, <laughs> I have my crowd or whatever, but like uh -huh. I, I do enjoy having conversations with people. And, you know, when I was bartending and serving for a few years, I was like, oh, wow, that really kind of got me into um, realizing how much I enjoyed working with the public and having conversations with people that you would connect with randomly. Right. Um, but yeah, when you feel safe or feel unsafe for so long with using your voice, then, you know, you lose it. You really, <laughs> you really do. It's, yeah. it's been incredible 
opening up those centers, the higher centers. It feels so good (laughs) to feel like you can just finally be your true self. Right. And and I'm to the point now where if people don't like what I have to say, you know, I'm I'm okay with that yeah. too. You know, I'm not gonna judge somebody for not agreeing with me or and that's so free. take it personally. Mm. You know, where I would have in the past, I had like I just was insecure about everything. Yeah, you know, and and a lot of that started in childhood, mm-hmm. which I unpacked in EMDR. I was like, oh yep. wow, this is EMDR is really amazing. <laughs> it really is. It was so intense for me, yeah. and I really went back. Like I could physic. Like I would have my eyes would be going both directions mm-hmm. and I would actually see these visions in my yeah. mind's eye and I would go to the house that you know that this memory had taken place in mm-hmm. the smells the sounds uh, were all very present you don't realize how much you're actually absorbing uh, from a room yeah like, oh. so if someone's like hitting you mm. and being really crazy or mean to you not only are you taking those actions, but you're absorbing the smell of what was cooking in the kitchen. Mm. And the you know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. texture of your clothes at the time. And I became so high, hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand. And it was because when I was growing up with all this chaos yeah. and this turmoil that I became repulsed by certain smells. I, I don't like certain mm-hmm. textures on my skin. You know, but I wasn't actually born that way. Right. And as I did the EMDR, I became more... Like I was able to to take on a lot more than I thought I could, yeah. you know, because I had finally processed that, you know, this is safe and this smell doesn't have to be associated with with this feeling anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like it it unscrambled all the sensations, yeah, which was nice. So. Yeah. Let's see. <clears throat> uh, what led you to want to become a holistic birthkeeper and doula? So, um. This just starts with um, the birth of my first son. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went, uh, when I found out I was pregnant with him, I was 19. And I never, like, grew up around natural birth or um, conscious pregnancy or really anything like that. So I just kind of went into it with the, you know, I'm just going to do what my family did. I'm going to do it my, you know, what I've seen everybody else do. Um, so I hired an OB and I went into the system and, um, the OB that I'd hired, um, was very, um, manipulative and, um, kind of, he, he had a lot of younger first time moms that were his clients and he really used that. It was very much like fear tactics and, um, you know, what can, what can I do to make you trust your body as little as possible to put it in my hands is how it felt. Um, but you know, I just went and that's the way you do things is what I thought. So went throughout that pregnancy towards the end of the pregnancy, he started telling me, um, you know, I, because of your size and your pelvis, you know, you're probably not going to be able to push out this baby on your own. That could happen, you know, so we're probably going to want to induce you early, you know? And of course in my brain, I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's what we're doing. You know, I just fully trusted him. And um, so I was nearing the day of induction, and then I started going into some early labor and then immediately just went into the hospital and was like, okay, it's happening. And um, and so when, when I got there, they started hooking me up to all the things and the intervention. So it's like, okay, first, uh, her contractions aren't really strong enough. Let's do some uh, Pitocin. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, well, now she's having this. Let's give her the epidural. Okay, let's, you know what? Um, the epidural actually, something went wrong with the epidural. And then all of a sudden, I w- literally was not able to feel my body from the chest down. And I was like, okay, this doesn't feel normal. Um, but they just kind of made me feel like there was no other option. Okay, well, we already did it. So now you're just going to lay on your back. Oh, her blood pressure's up. All right, time for an emergency C-section. Right. So um, it was, it turned out to be that there were like four or five other moms giving birth that evening with the same OB around the same time. And we all ended up in C-section. So it was kind of like, turned out he actually had plans. (laughs) So, and you often hear about the, about the OB who was like, oh, he had, you know, golfing or dinner plans. So he makes sure all the babies are out, you know? So, um, I ended up with a very traumatic cesarean. Um, and, 
I was, I think, the fourth person to hold my actual baby. And uh, it was extremely emotional. I was, you know, drugged up with all this stuff. And they were having me sign these just very important papers and consent papers while I was under, you know, on whatever drugs they had me on. Right. Um, all while I'm trying to take care of this brand new baby. And, was, you know, as soon as he was in my arms, it was like I was immediately in um, survivor mode. I'm like, nobody's touching my baby. Nobody's coming around me. You know, it still ended up that, you know, they didn't support my breastfeeding and they were pushing formula and they gave him a pacifier against my consent and all these different things that just kind of spiraled out of control. And then once I got home, And I started, was like, okay, I'm going to breastfeed my baby. And this is one thing nobody can take away from me, even though I had no help. So I was like, here's one thing that's in control and in my hands. So I I went on to do that. And immediately after I got home, I was like, okay, that is not what it's supposed to be like. I should not feel so broken. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't have felt so much sadness and anger and frustration and confusion and all of this stuff at such a sacred, beautiful time. And, you know, here I was with my my baby that they, you know, were trying to push me to have early, saying that he was too big, seven pounds, seven and a half pounds, and he comes out five pounds, seven ounces. And he was four pounds, nine ounces when I left the hospital with him. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I was like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, after I had him, I really started digging into every bit of research possible when it came to parenting, um, when it came to pregnancy and birth. And and I was like, I know when I do this again, it won't be the same. Mm -hmm. So um, that led me into the the home birth path. And, you know, when he was a year old, when Hendrix was a year old, I got pregnant with River, who is now eight. And um, I immediately decided I was going to do a home birth because I was so traumatized by that hospital experience. Mm -hmm. And Quickly after that, when I was seeking um, some sort of comfort in people who had been there, I realized, wow, this happens so often. Right. Um, Women are so very, you know, I know this is like a trigger word, but abused in the hospital system. I mean, that we are treated like objects. And um, it's, you know, women are so sacred (laughs) and birth is so sacred. And it's literally where it all starts. That trauma does not just go to the mom, it goes to the baby. Um, and we can subconsciously carry that throughout our whole lives. So, um, so then I had River at home and I had a beautiful, peaceful five and a half hour home birth, um, exactly how I'd always wanted. I visualized it. And after I, you know, had him, I was like, okay, this is where it's at. This is how it's supposed to feel when you can really feel connected to your baby and know that you are fully in control of your own body, your autonomy, you know, so um, I think I was pregnant with River when I attended my first birth, and it was it was actually a free birth, and um, I knew that I loved birth work after that, and um, so yeah, that's what led me on that path. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too no, drawn out, it. but it's kind of that was very condensed version because it's yeah. a lot that led me there. So for sure. Um, okay, so you brought up free birthing. Um, could you give us a little background on what free birthing is? Yeah, so um, I I personally have not had a free birth yet. Um, I do hope to have a free birth if I ever have another one. Um, um, my most recent was also a home birth. I didn't mention that. I'm not sure if I did or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, free birthing is really when you have a home birth, but you don't have – it's unassisted, so – you are assisting yourself. Usually it'll be like you and your partner or you and your partner, maybe a birth keeper who is like um, someone who is there to hold space for you. They're not in the medical system. So just birthing outside of the system unassisted by a midwife or a doctor. Mm -hmm. So um, you obviously do your research and um, trust your body and take, take it into your own hands. Mm. And um, so it's really owning your sovereignty and your autonomy and trusting that your body was made to do this and that you have all the tools to be able to do it um, on your own. And that's really should be every woman's decision. I don't feel like anyone should feel forced into free birth. Right. Um, but I feel like it should be an option that oh, everybody you knows know about. about it. Yes. 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 So I support 
you know, um, as a doula and a birth keeper, home birth and free birth. Right. And yeah. So, and my goal is to become a traditional midwife. Um, so that's just a midwife that chooses to be unlicensed, but you're still fully trained in all the things to do and all the emergencies and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I joined a free birthing group when I was pregnant. I think it was with Emerson. Mm -hmm. Um, but really I'd already, I was already with a midwife. And I wanted a natural birth and all that. But I'm like, I need to learn about this because there's mm-hmm. all these babies born in the car. Yeah. Or at home, you know, and I was like, it makes sense that we would have some kind of understanding of how our body works and, mm. and what to do and what not to do and when to call 911. And, right. But like, it's like we are totally separated from that. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you go to the OB. Well, what happens if your baby's coming here? Just like in the bathtub, you can't move at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. You know, so I'll, as much as, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't want to push free birth anyone. I do think mm-hmm. it's really, it, it felt freeing yeah. to know that if I just, if my water broke and I was at the Walmart, <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't freak out because I was educated on how birth is. Like, yeah. what, what does this look like? Mm-hmm. What am I going to experience? Yeah. You know? And, um, so I really enjoyed that. It it was great for me. And I, and even though I knew about free birth, I still chose a midwife because it was my first birth and I felt, you know, more comfortable, but I just do think it is important. I've, I've watched so many women Mm -hmm. in that group. I would just cry every time someone would, would have a baby. And these women were smart Mm -hmm. and they, they were very educated and, they had all the tools there. You know, if mm-hmm. this happened, they would do this. And yeah. they knew exactly when they would call a doctor in. Exactly. They weren't being careless. Right. And I think sometimes people associate it with, oh, these people are probably on drugs and they mm. just don't want to, you know, get. I don't know. I feel like they're just they're almost like wanting to shame those women and, yeah. you know, and be like, well, they're they're crazy. Yeah. And that's irresponsible, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and like these sh- people shouldn't even have kids. You know, it's yeah. just like this. I don't know. It, it just sounds awful uh, what some people would say yeah. to these women. And, and I've heard that. I've heard all of that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I've, if, if usually if you know the term free birth, like, and you're planning a free birth, you're doing your research. Like, you, you know exactly what it is that you need to do in whatever situation. Mm-hmm. So you're armed with information. Mm-hmm. And you just, you're just choosing to trust your body and trust that. So statistics show and um anecdotal evidence also shows that um you know fully undisturbed birth is the safest kind of birth right when you leave it alone to do what your body was made to do is is usually when it goes the the best way right and um when you're when you start trying to you know disturb disturb things and augment things and change you know um even even somebody being in your birth space that you do not feel comfortable being there that's enough to throw things off with Mm -hmm. your hormones with your body you know if we tighten up it tightens everything up if we get tense in the in the brain we get tense in our emotions we get tense in the body we get tense in the pelvis you know all these it all connects right so you know a lot about you know a lot of free birthing women that I've known are just they're very connected spiritually as well it's like you know, they're, they're listening to, um, their intuition. So it's just following your intuition, trusting your body. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's absolutely not in any way like neglectful. It's, um, just choosing what's, what's right for you. Exactly. So I I just feel like everyone should be armed with that information and have those options. Right. So, yeah. Right. And it sucks because, I feel like so many people are called to the opposite of what the medical community is offering because they re- are refusing to evolve yeah. with us. You know, the the midwives had this knowledge for so long. Yes. And these doctors refuse. So with my midwife, when I was like, you know, no cord cl- clamping mm-hmm. or whatever, we're delayed. She totally knew the science behind that and was like, of course, whatever mm-hmm. you wish. But the fact that they're even doing that to begin with, when yeah. they know the science. Yeah, absolutely. They know that that baby needs that all the blood yes. that was in the in there, yes. in their body. And, and, but so why do I even have to advocate for that? Yeah. Why do yeah. I have to go and study all of this? Mm-hmm. 
when you should have told me, hey, you know, this is something that we do and this is why. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what frustrated me the most is that I had to get so educated to give birth. Um, And there was things that they would have done. And had I not advocated against them, they would have just done them. Right. So like the eye ointment or the bath immediately. And and it's like, it's just frustrating because like they should be like, okay, well, these are the options, but it's not. It's just, this is the routine. And if you don't do your research, Mm -hmm. it will happen exactly like this. And we will not evolve and change no matter what the science is, no matter how much we realize this is traumatizing women, that it's not good for the baby. Yeah. This is protocol, yeah. and this is how it is. And yeah. I, I think that that's why so many people are are you know approaching it like I want a home birth and a midwife, mm-hmm. and it's it's because they actually feel more like they feel safer there. Yes, you know yes. that they don't have to fight for these decisions that are just known. Yeah, you know it's just yeah. so exhausting. I mean, yeah. the whole time. I was pregnant. I was stressed. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, I'm going to have to fight these doctors, you know? You shouldn't have to even (laughs) advocate for yourself when you're in labor. The the whole idea is crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, because they've they've really made um, birth into being a medical procedure. Right. Birth is not a medical issue. It's it's, It's a natural, autonomous thing that happens to our body. Right. And, um, you know, it's like uh, midwives are... Um, originally just, you know, wise women, you know, it wasn't about the, um, the regulation. So they've put so many regulations on midwives and they put all the laws and they put all the, when you, you know, you slap on the license and the certifications and all these different things, it puts you in this box of like, oh, well, we have to, you know, baby has to be born by this time or you can't have your home birth, baby, you can't have a breech birth, you can't have blah, 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 whatever it is. So People, you know, often feel forced into free birth. So that's one thing that I'm, I want women to be armed with knowledge to have a free birth if they want to. But I also really want, one reason I really want to be a traditional midwife is because I want to be able to be a wise woman to be there alongside women, helping them to trust their own bodies right. and to know that they don't need me. Um, to do that for them like I can't I cannot birth for you and I don't want to like that's you birth you can do that and um but women you know we shouldn't feel like that's not even an option like we're forced into free birthing if that's not something that we want because there is so much beauty in having a wise woman by your side when you are going through something so sacred and beautiful um, that so many women before you have, have been there, you know, so that connection, that really deep, and it's such a spiritual time. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I have, I mean, when it, when it comes to like a psychedelic experience, oh my gosh, like birth is the most psychedelic, psychedelic thing I've ever, the body. You're, oh yeah. (laughs) You're in a whole other realm. It's like, where did I go? You know, I, you know, I love that. Um, I'm not even sure exactly what culture it comes from, but like the saying about um, when a woman is in labor, she goes off into the the ether to uh, retrieve her baby and, and brings her baby back when it's mm-hmm. birthed out, you know. And um, often that's why we kind of feel like we're not even really there. Like, right. It's um, hard to remember it sometimes. Exactly. It's like a, a fog. Yeah. And you're like, well, I know that there was, I know I felt pain at some yeah. point, but I'm not even tuned into that anymore. Yeah. It's like I disconnect. From that, yeah. because it was in and out of the body. Right. It's just like yeah. that veil's opening up, and mm-hmm. you're like in between worlds. Exactly. And, and he, you know, that's kind of a mystical experience, yeah. right? You're like going through this dark night, and then something is born out of that. Yeah. And yeah, it is so sacred. And that's mm-hmm. the thing, like, is when they, I, I know that some people have a really low pain tolerance, they're mm-hmm. terrified. And I'm not saying that you should feel shamed into having a no, no. free birth or whatever, but for right. me, you know, when I was medicated, mm-hmm. I was so disoriented, yeah. you know, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. that I was still actually felt all the pain. I was just very loopy in my yeah. head. And then I was like, you know, I missed that, that those first moments because yeah. I was so like messed up. Mm, yeah. I mean, that we give fentanyl to, to laboring yeah. women. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but they, there's all these, you can't have like certain teas and herbs and stuff, but you can have fentanyl. It doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> but you have to micromanage everything you do your yeah. whole pregnancy. But then suddenly at this, you oh, know. And but when the baby's coming out, just load them it's up. It's confusing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I don't understand the, the how the, that's even rational sometimes. Right. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. 
<laughs> I definitely have my own birth stuff that I wish had went differently. And yeah. uh, even with midwives, yeah, you know, yeah. and with Iris, we got to 42 weeks, you know, and, and I think the reason that I couldn't re- go into labor is because I was so stressed because I was like 42 weeks. They're yeah, going to, they put you on this you timeline. Know, and we, we had had to, to sit, set up the induction. Mm-hmm. And luckily she was born, she was born like two hours before I was supposed to be wow. induced. You know, she wow. was like, we're not doing this. Uh, we're yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, I felt like that I had my, the membrane swipe and all that. And I probably wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I would have just let, you know, it makes labor. I feel like when we try to p- to make labor come quicker, yeah. oh, it'll come. Yeah. But then the labor is drawn out for a really, really long time. Absolutely. And it's all because we're afraid that we're going to have to get induced. Exactly. You know, and so I would have, I probably would have had a more peaceful end of my pregnancy. But as soon as I hit 40 weeks, I started freaking out. Yep. That I'm like, I really don't want a C-section, you know. Like, (laughs) so I don't know. I had like my own fear. I never actually had to have a C-section, you know, luckily. But it's definitely something I was... I was more afraid of a C-section than I was a pre-birth. Yeah. You know, and that's... Oh, yeah. Might be seem weird to some people, but... No. I no. just... The recovery time is... Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's really hard on your body. And, yeah. And being a new mom is already so challenging. You're so tired, you exactly. know, and that's a surgery. Yes. You know, and, and as much a as... A major it's, surgery. <laughs> it is important yeah. to always have that option. I mean, it saves women all the time. Right. I'm not saying that we should not have C-sections. Exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that should be a last case scenario. Yes. You know, and, and a medical emergency. Yes. Surgery should always be a medical emergency. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. think a lot of us definitely can go the other route because of we're afraid of that. Yeah. Birth trauma is such a huge issue as well. I mean, like so many women deal with birth trauma and often don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um especially if we're taught that that's the way it's supposed to go. And then, you know, and then so when you talk about your, if you feel comfortable talking about the way you're feeling to somebody and they dismiss it, oh, well, that's just what you go through after birth. Right. You know, that you're just, you're dealing with all these things. And, um, you know, I think postpartum is such an, an important time for, so many reasons. I mean, there's, there's a reason why in many other cultures, you know, there's the first 40 days after birth, you are like required to rest, (laughs) you know, you're, you rest (laughs) and you're served and you're taken care of and you're loved on. And that's so important. That's why I'm really passionate also about, you know, being a postpartum doula and doing, um, birth processing sessions with people, because I think it's so important to be able to talk to somebody Mm -hmm. to process through what happened, you know, because often I don't even need to say much, but the person needs to get it out. They need to talk about it. They need to, and then then they come to all these different realizations when they're saying it out loud. They're like, wow, you know, and, and just talking about it can be so healing because you're opening up that throat chakra and you're letting out all that stuff that you've been holding on to. And it's just so freeing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, I think that, that, um, postpartum care is, is another thing that is just totally set aside for so many and we're expected to just get back to work and, you know, especially if we have younger kids and, or, you know, and then we have an, another baby, it's like, oh, you just have to go back to parenting, you got to go right. back to cooking and cleaning and all these, you know, not everybody has a supportive partner or, right. or whatever. So I just think it's really important to, um, to provide that support for women when we can. Right. I love that there's people doing that because I definitely needed that. And I didn't even know that it was an option back then. But like you spend all this time, you're going like weekly towards the end of your pregnancy to see. And and basically Mm -hmm. they're saying you're fine. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) But, you know, I had Iris. It was like a month before all the protocol, you know, the COVID stuff. Mm. And so I never saw a doctor again after I gave birth. Like yeah. they were like, well, we're only, you know, we, we don't want you to come in because, oh. um, because of these COVID, pro- right. you know, we want less visit. And so I just never got your post. I never visit. saw my midwife yeah. again. I never said goodbye. <laughs> yeah. It felt weird, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, I hope everything's good because, you know, they were like, if it's not a medical emergency, we don't, we're not going to have you come back in. Yeah. And I'm like, well. You spend yeah. like almost like 10 months getting, getting to, to know this person. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so much with postpartum that's not just the physical yeah 
Oh, absolutely. that's mental. And, yes. you know, I, ha- I was having a lot of postpartum anxiety and, mm. and not that I, I probably shouldn't have went. They probably just tried to medicate me or mm. whatever when really I just needed to sleep. Yeah. I just needed to some- someone to come over and maybe like do some laundry mm-hmm. and uh, let me rest. But I didn't have any f- support from family, you know, and Justin's just as tired as I am. And mm. it was I, I swear like the the sleep deprivation oh, my was goodness. harder than the birth yes you know we're we're prepared we're preparing for birth that Mm -hmm. one moment and then birth comes and then you're like oh my god no one no one was talking about the sleep deprivation i would have probably set up a a doula for that but i wasn't thinking that way at the time you know there's a reason they say it takes a village because we're really supposed to be living in community and you know mothers they're helping each other you know that's why that was such a thing and you know so many of us long for that because that's the way that it used to be you know women together you know midwives you know having our babies together raising our kids together schooling our kids together like and then now it's it's so common to just feel so alone right so like isolation during the first year after your child's born your friends don't even want to talk to you right your family doesn't mm-hmm. come around because they don't want to get the baby sick. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's yeah. all this. And it's like, well, I've just been sitting here for a year in total isolation, um, exhausted yes. and tired and lonely. And, you know, it, yeah. it was hard. Yeah. Very emotional. It was emotionally right. challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a reason why there's such an issue with like postpartum suicide and, you know, different things like that. Postpartum depression and anxiety are very real. Yes. And people just kind of push that aside and you know often the question after a mom has her baby is how's the baby doing can I hold the baby can I see the baby what about the baby what about Mm -hmm. the mom what about the mom that was first you know if if she went through like the traumatic birth right and then she's you know and here she is with the baby and and there's nobody to help her and she's not getting any sleep and she's trying to breastfeed and she's trying to eat and cook oh my goodness you know just keeping my energy up Yep. Nursing was so hard, you yeah. know, and, but people were like, oh, we don't want to go bother her. She might have to breastfeed. <laughs> oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> and I'm just like, would you please hold this baby so I can go eat and like have a fork and a knife at the same yeah, time? Yeah, <laughs> it's so simple. It, I mean, even just the little things, make right. a meal, drop it off. Don't expect to get to hold the baby right. or say, hey, if you would like for me to hold the baby so you can take a nap, take a shower. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine taking a shower? Right, like, the showers <laughs> is like oh, it's a heavenly level. experience. <laughs> <laughs> that first shower after birth was like ah, oh, right, so good, right, so good. You know, and just having that, you know, r- going through different experiences too, different births of like experiencing having the support and not having the support, and right. it's like day and night. Mm-hmm. It's day and night. Um, so yeah. It's very yeah. important. I feel like after Iris, it was so hard with all of the postpartum stuff. I was like, I'm not doing that ever again. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I cannot mentally handle mm-hmm. that year of my life again, especially now with two children. Right. You know, because I didn't have the support from family. Yeah. I never had one person come over, not mm. like, and, and hold my child so I could sleep. Wow. Or, and so I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I did it, but I can't do it because I don't have a village and I, I physically yeah. only have two arms and yeah. I can't I keep it continue to have children. It's not because mm-hmm. I don't want them. It's yeah. because I can't do it by myself. Right. You know, and even with Justin, I mean, he's got to work. And, yeah. And so, yeah, the the lack of the village is the reason I'm like yeah done with that you know right. so i'm like i'll just i'll provide that for others now like if mm. i see someone struggling i will be there yeah. you know to hold that baby so they can right sleep. <laughs> like, let her yes. sleep yes <laughs> let that mama get some sleep right it's such a that's all deal. she wants <laughs> right sleep deprivation man yeah. it's like crazy yeah oh it literally do- it just makes you like it makes you feel like you're not even human like right. you're just kind of coasting Right, and on the, autopilot. my nervous system yeah. was just so overstimulated. Even when I could, like, sh- the baby would go to sleep, I would go to sleep, and my body would jolt myself awake. And yes. I remember there was a point, and I was like, I can't sleep. Yeah. Even when the baby's asleep, you yeah. know? And I had nobody to tell me that that was normal, or I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, I was just, like, twitching. Yes. From lack of sleep, and and I had no idea that that was a thing. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm just trying well, to like good to let people people to be there for that. Yes, you know, and and not just be like, oh, you need a little sleep. I'm like, no, I need a lot of sleep. Yeah, because <laughs> these five minute increments are not working. They're not doing it, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's 
Yeah, it's definitely hard. So I love that you're providing these services for people and and just, you know, sharing these stories. It Because I think a lot of us are alone. We don't even realize that this is a common thing. Right. Or that, you know, it's actually universal, yeah. you know. <laughs> we all need support after birth. Absolutely. And during. And we yeah. all need someone to advocate for us mm-hmm. and hold space for us yeah. during these vulnerable times. I mean, it's yeah. just a beautiful service. So. Yeah. I'm um, grateful. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I know that you also do yoga and that you're now a certified yoga teacher. Um, what style of yoga do you specialize in? And um, like where can people take a class or follow you? Okay. Um, yeah. So I first started doing some um, a little bit of like vinyasa yoga when I was like 16 just like following a YouTube video or whatever mm-hmm. um, I think I started out with just doing like some Pilates or whatever and then yes. I got more into yoga and then very quickly into discovering yoga I think I was 17 at the time and I was going through a very difficult time in my life and um, I was looking for something to help me to find my way back to me you know mm-hmm. um, so I discovered Kundalini yoga online (laughs) um and you know that's usually not one of the first things that you venture into but like I was like oh this is you know it caught my eye and so Mm -hmm. I started following this um kundalini teacher online and doing um like following his workshops and and uh I would literally just shut myself in the bathroom at 17 with the computer and do kundalini yoga every single day and it's it yeah it completely like changed my life um it started it's really what opened me up it was like that first spark to to bringing me to 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 this place you know Mm -hmm. so um you know, I never, I never went and like where, where I lived, by the way, there was like no yoga studios. There was no, definitely no Kundalini. Right. <laughs> um, so I was just kind of doing this on my own and, um, I had no community. Um, but anyway, I knew as I continued to get older that one day I wanted to teach yoga, you know, after I had kids, I became more involved with doing, you know, a very like conscious daily yoga practice and that became my morning ritual and still to this day like if I don't do my morning yoga like I have a harder time right, like, <laughs> like puts I, you in place yeah right? it really really does even if it's super quick um right. but like meditation and things like that even if it's just a five minute meditation I'm I'm at least like feeling like I can do this right. <laughs> um so that that's really what got me um, into yoga. And so when I was pregnant with Lavender, who's 10 and a half months now, um, I started actually right before I got pregnant with her, I started my yoga teacher training um, at Renegade Yoga Studio. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And not too far into it, I found out I was pregnant with Lavender. Right. And um, so I went through most of it being pregnant. And I was very, very pregnant when I graduated. Yes, I remember the yes. pictures. <laughs> yes, I was very pregnant. And um, so once, you know, I got my certification, I knew I was like, I'm going to wait for, before I start actually teaching classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had Lavender and, um, you know, got a few months past postpartum stuff and started teaching um, um, yoga at Renegade as a sub. So I'm still just subbing classes there. Um, it's kind of difficult, per- like permanently. <laughs> it's kind of difficult currently for me to do a regular weekly class having a young baby and, and things like that. Um, so I'm subbing there, but I also offer one-on-one classes. I can do group classes, you know parties, things like that. So people can just reach out to me either on my Facebook, which my Facebook page is um, Sacred Moments Holistic Services. And then my website is sacredmomentsholisticservices.com. Okay. And um, that's just all my contact info if anyone wants to book a yoga session or a Reiki session or anything like that. Right. So. And if people follow you, then in the future, if you did start teaching more regularly, yes. then they would just know. Yes. They would be able to get your updates. Absolutely. That's definitely the goal. So. Right. We'll, we'll do all that again at the end to make yeah. sure everyone gets it. But, okay. Um, okay. So I know that you also do like Reiki, um, you're an Oracle reader and stuff. Um, what is a healing session with you like? Yeah. So um, currently I do 
offer my Reiki sessions out of Renegade as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And my my sessions usually are about 45 minutes or so. And um, I I do more of like a psychic Reiki, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I've tried to figure out the best way I want to use the wording. So energy healing, psychic energy healing. I am Reiki certified um, through Usui Reiki. Um, So, but... When I'm going through my sessions, I also, I start out by putting a protection um, around me and my client. And um, after that, I call upon uh, my guides, my higher self, the uh, loved ones and guides, higher self and loved ones of my client. And I always say, you know, I'm calling on those who are here for our very highest good, um, those of love and light only. And, um, I just asked them to, you know, to breathe into that for a little bit. Um, I always sage the area and just make sure I'm clearing the energy. And, and then I start out, um, with hands on the head is where I always start. And then I slowly go down the body over the different energy centers, but, um, I always come back to the places to where I feel called. So I often will feel in my body where that person is dealing with something in their body or whether it's energetic I can feel it in my body so Mm -hmm. I will intuitively like go there and spend more time on that area and I love that because often you know after the session we always sit down and talk about it and they'll like tell me something they felt and I love that reassurance because I'm like I felt that you know exactly and um so I love I love that part of it and I also will um I get messages from their guides or from off very often from their family members that have passed and things like that, mm-hmm. which is not really even something that I knew was going to happen until <laughs> I started offering sessions. And then I'm like, oh, gosh, this, you know, Aunt Martha is coming through right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did not know that was going to happen, but I guess this is what we're doing. Right. And it's always so profound to them. And like, they're like, oh, my gosh, yes. And the words that come. So that always really affirms for me that that it's very authentic and genuine because I'm like, you know. This is just, this came to me. I I don't know, Deborah. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes people come to me and I'm like, I, you know, I always try to be transparent about how my sessions go in case someone's not, you know, if they're expecting just for me to go down, you know, touching their body and then it's over. Right. You know, they're not going to expect me to say that a family member is coming through or that their guides are coming through or that, you know, Arcturians were were surrounding them during their session. Which totally happens, you know. Right. Um, but it's but it's real and it, and it always resonates. Uh-huh. And I think that's really beautiful. And I, it's very unique for each person. But yeah, come in. We have a conversation. You tell me what it is that you're wanting to, you know, specifically focus on. And then we go through a session and then sit down and talk about it. And then depending on how the person wants to do it, we often end in an oracle reading. Mm. And so that's always just intuitive as well. So Awesome. And you... Do them like through Zoom and stuff too, right? Yes. Because you've given me distance. Yes, Reiki I do distance Reiki in person. Um, I can do virtual and then also do um, virtual um, oracle readings as well. So, All right, great. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely had some good experiences with you oh, with the distance you. Reiki where you'll be like, I was feeling it in my chest and I'm like, I'm hacking up mucus right now. So you were correct. It worked. It's wild. It, it all, really is. No matter how many times, I don't know you understand too, like feeling those things in your body and every time it happens, like you're, st- it's, I'm, I'm still amazed. I'm like, what the heck? Like, it's crazy. I love, I love being able to, to be that for somebody. Like I just, right. it's really powerful. And I've definitely had that given to me so many times when somebody's reached out and just been like, Hey, I'm feeling it. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm exactly going through that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm glad you were able to feel that. And it's always when I'm like needing it. Right. You know, and I'm like, I know. And then it's just like, oh, like a breath of, of uh, relief. Right. So. Yeah. And there was one time where you asked me if I knew Deborah. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know Deborah. And then I looked up the word, I looked up what Deborah means. Yeah. And it was literally bees. Okay. <laughs> bees. Well, what happens? I meet a girl named B. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to the Honey Bee Cafe, and this guy's like, <laughs> I invited my friend B to the Honey Bee Cafe. And then, like, for my birthday, someone got me, like, a, some bees. And I was like, what is going on with the bees? Like, And yeah. then, like, I would, like, watch a, something on Gaia, and it would be all about, like, the high find. And I'm like, okay. Oh. So it wasn't it wasn't Deborah. Yeah. It was, like, the bee energy. It, yeah. was, it was almost, like, foreshadowing that I was about to get, you know, exposed to a lot of different yeah. 
uh, variations of bees. Right. And I was like, this is really interesting how this manifests. So sometimes uh, with the stuff that comes through, it's not always necessarily even a person, but just yeah. like an energy. Exactly. Like it was the the bee energy was, became activated in my life. Yeah. And I started seeing bees everywhere. And I was like, oh. I love that. <laughs> and I love that you're so connected with that. And I always try to tell my clients, like, if some a name comes through or a message and you're not really sure who that is I'm like I always encourage you to pay close attention to what starts happening in the near future um, if something starts to resonate or like also research the word because or the name because the word vibration behind a name is more than like what's obvious yes yeah it can it's you know sometimes if there's this huge message that they're trying to convey to you they're not going to pour through the whole message they're going to give you this name or this word Mm -hmm. and then that forces you to go and you know do some do the work like to look Mm -hmm. into it and then you it really is more special that way right because when things start like synchronizing right the synchronicities really make you realize how real it is and how you know, it's not just in your head. Right. Like these... It's being revealed to you specifically. Exactly. This is like with the Akashic Records sometimes. They say something that's very vague. Mm. And and I, I, talked to, I talked to you about this where they brought up Mantis for Justin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they said, you were a Mantis. And I'm thinking like Mantis being, because I've heard of that. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and are you an insectoid? Like, <laughs> you know, but I, kept, I, didn't, I didn't just let it. I didn't say, well, that's the answer, you know, whatever. And I let it just sit. And then one day I found this book about, Mant- the Greek seers are called mantises and yeah. I was like oh my gosh it's <gasps> I love it that. was a name that you you know what I'm saying so yeah. like I could have got lost in just trying to understand it um literally exactly but it was like it did come back around I gave it more time and it revealed itself yeah but they didn't they didn't actually tell me yeah. or tell him exactly what that meant yeah and sometimes they don't just want to give it to you on a silver platter right. they're like you we have want- to discover it exactly for yourself and that's where the magic comes from yes you know and you might I might have just never looked up Deborah and just moved on what, with my life yeah and it what would have if been you fine, just shoved, right? to, whatever. shoved it to the side and but you know. it, it did make me feel like tuned in I was like I must I'm doing things right I'm in alignment if I keep stumbling on this you know and it keeps finding a way to me I I took that as a symbol of I'm in alignment exactly and somehow bees come into that yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll see in the future I feel like I'm not done yet with that so it's gonna manifest more for me (laughs) okay so you talked about um your website your Facebook. You also have an Instagram. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, Sacred Moments Holistics mm-hmm. is my Instagram. So, and I actually have two Instagrams. So, if anyone gets confused, I have one Instagram that I've had for a very long time. That one's Sacred Mama One 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 One. I love the angel numbers. Yes. <laughs> and so that one's kind of more of like a personal, you know, family. I share all the things. Right. Um, I share a lot of the same things on both, but the other one is mostly just like. I don't really even like to say business because everything I do is a passion and I love it. Um, right. But my business page, so it's right yeah. for people that don't want to see like every moment in your child's life. Exactly, and just exactly. To follow your yoga career. Exactly, <laughs> and there's a link there too on my Instagram. It just brings up my um, all the different links to the other things. Okay, oh, so so my Patreon and things like that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for having me. I always I love, love talking to you. <laughs> yes, same, same. It's so natural and yeah. lovely every time. So <laughs> thank you for doing this show with me. Thank so. you, Astral. And thank you all. Tune in next time on the Astral Hour.